0: Hello, and welcome to Vandenberg Flash Focus, your source for fast and focused foreign policy analysis on breaking news around the world. I'm your host, Samuel Byers, here today with the Vandenberg Coalition's own Executive Director, Carrie Filippetti. Carrie's the former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for Cuba and Venezuela in the Trump administration, which means she's the perfect person to talk with us about what's going on with Venezuela's presidential elections, the Maduro regime, and what it means for the Western Hemisphere and the United States. Carrie, welcome to Flash Focus.
1: Thanks so much, Sam.
0: So, Carrie, for those of us who don't follow Venezuelan presidential primaries closely, and I'm going to count most of us in that uh, camp, fill us in on what's happened over the past week in the presidential elections.
1: Yeah, well, I think before getting into this last week, it's important to understand the sort of broader context that we're facing here. So. A lot of this started, the current humanitarian and political crisis started in uh, 2018 when there were elections for the president in Venezuela that were largely decried as unfree and unfair by many in the international community, including the United States. And that's what set off a series of things from American-led sanctions to multilateral initiatives against the Maduro regime um, to try to get them to have freer and fairer elections. and. you know throughout this period we saw a recognition of a separate government that was not the Maduro regime that represented the the opposition that's sort of the background to where we are is that Maduro stole these elections in 2018 and now the objective is to make sure that he doesn't steal elections in 2024 which is the next time that he's um he's up for a vote So in terms of what's happened, there was really a remarkable achievement by the Venezuelan opposition this Sunday, which is that they organized and led a primary vote to unite behind a singular opposition candidate. The reason this matters is because even though Maduro has very, very low popularity inside Venezuela, the opposition has historically been pretty divided. And so it's important for them to unite behind one candidate. They were able to do so this Sunday, um, having votes both within Venezuela as well as members of the diaspora, because, as many may know, there's um, almost 7 million Venezuelans that have had to flee Venezuela because of the political and humanitarian crisis. So this Sunday we saw about 2.4 million Venezuelans vote from both within the country and outside of the country and they united behind a singular candidate uh, her name is Maria Karina Machado she was expected to be the winner and she won with about 92% of the uh, of the vote of the um, opposition parties the most important thing to know about this other than the success of the opposition in in holding holding this election is that Maria Karina Machado is now ineligible to actually run in the general election. So she won this primary, but we've known for quite some time that the Maduro regime has said she's not allowed to run in the general. So what happens next is going to be very significant as to whether or not there can be free and fair elections.
0: So I thought, and you know, I assume many listeners who don't follow Venezuela thought that Venezuela is ruled by Nicolas Maduro, a kind of gang of other Hugo Chavez heirs. Uh, so can you unpack a little bit for us, you know, why are they still having, you know, relatively competitive elections or elections where there's, you know, a chance that the opposition can win? How are they, you know, putting their thumb on the scale to ensure that they are the ones who stay in power? Um, you mentioned that, um, that you know, Manchado is uh, not allowed to run. Uh, the regime is. That she's not allowed to run. Uh, unpack some of the tools they're using uh, to kind of rig this election in one way or another.
1: Yeah, well, I think it's important that we differentiate the primary election, which was purely run by the opposition, and then the general elections, which are run by the Maduro regime. So when we talk about a free and fair election that occurred this Sunday, that was because there was no regime hands on it. In fact, part of the negotiations that we've seen between the Maduro regime and the opposition over the last few months has been to ensure that the opposition is able to run their election without outside interference from the regime. When you look at the regime itself and the general elections, whether they're municipal elections or legislative elections or presidential elections, the regime has... Full control over all of the levers of power, from um, declaring people ineligible to vote to not giving them access to the media, um, to um, using humanitarian aid to uh, compel people to vote in a certain direction. They use sort of the what I would call the typical dictator's rule book. Um, they're doing basically everything that they can. They run the National Electoral Council. That's all Nicolas Maduro regime loyalists, um, the Supreme Court, all regime loyalists loyalists. So this has been a sort of intentional effort by the Maduro regime to control all of the tools and institutions of power in the country. And that's how we've been able to see the regime take Venezuela, which was really the birthplace of South American democracy, and turn it into what is clearly a a dictatorship. Um, So I think it is fair to say that they do have control over all the levers of power. And the 2024 elections are going to be unfree and unfair, almost certainly. It's not just because the primary opposition candidate is ineligible. It's because there's no freedom of speech. There's no freedom of the press because they use – police forces uh, to intimidate because they manipulate humanitarian aid and because they've been passing laws that essentially outlaw civil society. So they really have none of the benchmarks for a free and fair election, which is why it was so surprising that the Biden administration elected to remove sanctions uh, before seeing a change in behavior from the, administ- from the re- regime.
0: Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about that. I, I know the Biden administration has kind of put forward this this deal or, you know, sanctions relief in exchange for uh, promises to hold a, an open election or or steps in, in the direction of freer elections? Is this the right approach? You know, if you're still, if you were still in the State Department uh, instead of the Biden team, uh, what would you be doing differently? What would you be advising the president to do differently?
1: Yeah, I would say that there's, um, there's some similarities between the Trump and the Biden administration on Venezuela, but there's two key differences. So in terms of the similarities, both the Trump and the Biden administrations have stated that the ultimate end goal here is to have a political settlement and negotiation between the two parties, the opposition and the regime that ultimately leads to free and fair elections. So that's been consistent U.S. policy um, between both administrations. Where we've seen a significant shift is um, in two ways. The The first is the Trump administration believed that, the way that I've said it, um, is elections are, or freedom is like being pregnant. You either are free or you aren't free. There's no 50% free. Um, So this concept of freer and fairer is not language that we used. We talked about free and fair, and if it didn't meet that standard, then we weren't willing to relieve sanctions. By contrast, the Biden administration believes that if we can get incremental progress towards change, then ultimately over a period of time, that will result in um, in what we could sort of appreciate as freer and fairer, and maybe it gets us to a place of free and fair eventually. Um, The reason I think that that's not useful is because, um, number one, I I agree with the Trump administration, you can't be half free. If there's no freedom of speech and freedom of the press, then just having the sort of accoutrements of an election doesn't make it a democracy. But also because— That process takes a very long time when we've already seen 7 million uh, Venezuelans leave their country, we've seen families split up, we've seen a tragic humanitarian and health crisis. So every day that goes by, we're talking about human lives potentially being being lost, um, to say nothing of those being imprisoned. The other difference between the Trump administration and the Biden administration is the order of sanctions relief. So the Trump administration said very clearly, We will relieve sanctions in exchange for good behavior from the Maduro regime, because we'd seen how they'd manipulated negotiations to try to get us to relieve sanctions before they did anything, and then they wouldn't ultimately make the changes. The Biden administration has taken a different tack, and as we've seen over the last couple of years, they've relieved sanctions as what I would call an inducement for the regime to change their behavior. Um, Unfortunately, I don't think we've seen that work to date. Um, And I think we're seeing that as it relates to this election process, where because the opposition was able to organize so effectively, they got a primary candidate. But if Maria Karina isn't able to run in a general election, there's no way that those elections can be considered free and fair. Um, And so that's what I really worry about. And that that is why I would not have relieved all of these sanctions in exchange for a, a pledge to push for free and unfair elections, I would have done it after we saw tangible progress um, that showed a real commitment um, to uh, to change the the electoral process to be free and fair.
0: And that inducement strategy is is something I think we've seen in a lot of uh, the Biden administration's foreign policy. I'm thinking, you know, in particular about. Iran and relieving sanctions, um, you know, kind of on the promise of good behavior rather than uh, than playing hardball and waiting until we get tangible tangible changes. Um, So put this all into the strategic context for us. Um, Why do these political developments in Venezuela matter to the United States, to Americans? you know, obviously Venezuela is a big oil producer. It's a large, populous country in uh, in South America, close close to home. But it's also under Chavez and Maduro now, and Chavez before him has been a, a key partner in the Western Hemisphere for adversaries like China, Russia, Iran, a close partner of uh, Cuba. Um, so, if there's a change, you know, say uh, Machado is able to win next year, or um, You know, there's some other uh, change in in the Maduro regime. How does that affect uh, the United States? What options does that give us uh, geopolitically in our hemisphere and in uh, in competition with our adversaries?
1: Yeah, well, I think this is where where Venezuela's role in part of what I would call great power competition is so significant. I mean, uh, Venezuela, Cuba, Nicaragua, the the what John Bolton called uh, the troika of tyranny in the Western hemisphere um, creates a foothold for our adversaries, whether it's um, Iran and the presence of Hezbollah in Venezuela, whether it's um, China and Russia and their um, Uh, providing security assistance and surveillance assistance to the Venezuelan regime. Our adversaries are clearly using Venezuela and the other dictatorships in our hemisphere as a a sort of foothold for their entry um, into uh, our neighborhood. So that should be deeply concerning. Um, I also think this has significant implications, of course, for our migration crisis. Venezuelans in 2020 made up about there were about 4,000 encounters with Venezuelans over the entirety of 2020. Now that the refugee population of Venezuela is about 7 million, we saw 200,000 Venezuelans at our southern border in uh, in 2022. So these are numbers that we just cannot um, continue to to facilitate um, without addressing what the Biden administration refers to as root causes, which in in my view should be um, addressing the, the the, um the dictatorships in in the hemisphere which are the primary cause for a lot of these things um another important reason why Venezuela matters is that it has a lot to do with um uh counterterrorism in the United States so for example We've heard these stories about how over 150 um, terrorists on our watch list have gotten through our southern border. Well, most of those folks are FARC or ELN, um, which are terrorist entities in, in the Western Hemisphere, um, and they are given safe haven by countries like Venezuela. So this is very deeply involved in, in great power competition. Um, it has to do with counterterrorism. It has to do with immigration. Um, so American, uh, American priorities are, are sort of clearly at stake here.
0: Excellent. Uh, any, any final thoughts? Uh, do you think uh, it's likely that Machado is able to run next year? Do you think we're going to see a, um, you know, a uh, fine, kind of a showdown over or whether or not she's allowed to run or they have to move another candidate uh, or any other final thoughts about uh, Venezuela?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think... Um The Biden administration did clearly state that if Maduro does not take steps towards creating a free and fair election, then they will snap back the sanctions. So the sanctions relief that we saw that um, predated this particular uh, primary election were the Biden administration essentially giving six month general licenses to the sectoral sanctions that we'd seen on Venezuela. So those have been on um, oil, gas and, and gold. So in theory, if they don't let Maria Karina run in the general election, we should see a snapback. The problem is I don't think the Biden administration has been clear on what they would consider sufficient to meet the standard of free and fair. So maybe the Maduro regime releases another handful of Venezuelan prisoners and and then the Biden administration says, oh, well, that's good enough even though that has very little to do with whether the election is is free and fair. So that is my my major warning in terms of the likelihood that there will be free and fair elections. um, I put it at almost zero percent. Unfortunately, we have not seen the Maduro regime undertake any significant efforts. Um, There was an EU electoral observation mission that was in Venezuela a few years ago that laid out 23 recommendations for how to make these free and fair. I don't see why we haven't just been using that as a blueprint because that gives us a sense of whether or not they've been making progress. And the answer, of course, is they haven't. The only last thing that I would state, though, is that um, I think it is very, very impressive what the Venezuelan opposition has been able to do. Despite the, um, the total control that the Maduro regime has, they were able to organize completely independently of the regime these elections. It shows the unity of the Venezuelan people, which is something they had been criticized for not having in the past. And it shows that they're still very much in this fight. And I think that is probably um, the, the best symbol of hope that we have. Is that 2.5 million people voted in this election, um, show their support for a single candidate, and hopefully that that um, shows that the Venezuelan people and the opposition are going to be united and motivated going forward.
0: Thank you so much for joining us, Carrie. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Flash Focus is a production of the Vandenberg Coalition. To connect and stay up to date on our work, follow our account on X, at Vandenberg Co. Or visit www.vandenbergcoalition.org to learn more and subscribe to our weekly newsletter on foreign policy and national security, Beyond the Water's Edge. Until next time, I'm Samuel Byers, and this is Vandenberg Flash Focus.